0: Hello, I'm Simon Burton, and you're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105, an hour in which we'll delve into the ancient books and art of Tibet, discover the kind of space an artist really needs hear about a fledgling business selling art on the market and encounter a poetic anti-artist. In this edition, we visit curator Dr Mark Elliott on opening a new exhibition, Buddha's Word, The Life of Books in Tibet and Beyond, at the Archaeology and Anthropology Museum. Changing spaces get enough room for its artists to swing a cat in a new shop space in the Grafton Centre and invite people to drop in on a hive of activity. The partners in a fledgling art promotion business called Byline Arts invite emerging young artists to join a low cost to no cost team that may soon do live art on a dynamic market store gallery in the summer evenings. And the artists at Peep Show Exhibition in Norfolk Street talk about what inspired their latest combined offerings. <laughs> If you're looking for something really exotic to immerse yourself in, you couldn't do better than to visit the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, as it presents a fascinating new exhibition, Buddha's Word, The Life of Books in Tibet and Beyond. It's the first time Tibetan material has been showcased in Cambridge, and many of the artefacts, statues, prints, scroll paintings and manuscripts, some dating back over a thousand years, have never been displayed before. The display even features a quartet of scroll paintings brought back from the infamous Young Husband exhibition given to the museum by the 13th Dalai Lama. Senior Curator for Anthropology Dr. Mark Elliott introduces what has to be one of the most interesting museum collections to appear in Cambridge this year, sung in here by a Tibetan singer Ludop at the opening. <laughs>
1: And the ye
0: Mark, um, absolutely wonderful listening to some um, Tibetan chants by um, Ludov mm. um, at the opening of this exhibition. That really kind of sets the scene, doesn't it, for something that's quite extraordinary?
2: I think it does. I think our, um, our objective for, for, the, uh, the, for the private view, for the opening of the exhibition, and for the exhibition as a whole, is to mm. demonstrate that while we're dealing with a rich collection of artefacts and, uh, and manuscripts from Tibet and the wider Buddhist world, this is not just a historic exhibition. You know, We're dealing with living cultures, living traditions. There are people involved in this. And, and I think to get uh, some sense of that vitality into the, in, into our opening event is something that I hope we can continue through the exhibition as it runs.
0: Uh, it's a wonderfully um, exotic um, uh, um, exhibition that you've got here. Um, it's called um, The Word of Buddha. What's in the title?
2: Well, uh, the exhibition, I mean, broadly, uh, Buddha's Word, uh, The Life of Books in Tibet and Beyond, really... Where we're starting with is perhaps somewhere unexpected for, for a museum like this. We're starting with books. We're starting with the written word. And I think fundamentally within the whole story of, of the transmission and the, the, uh, the lives and traditions of Buddhism within Tibet and, and beyond, the book, the written word of Buddha is fundamentally important. The, um, the, uh, the written word, uh, Buddha's legacy, Buddha's scriptures, Buddha's sermons are in many ways the, um, the remains of Buddha on earth. This is, uh, the, this is about as, um, as important as it gets, really. And our, our objective in this show was to try to make people think a little bit differently about books, but also think differently about the relationship between books, the written word, and uh, visual arts, sculptures, paintings, etc. Much more visible Our Tibetan collections um, number uh, approximately 600 artefacts, of which... About 110, are 110, 115 are on display here. And the important thing, uh, one of the important messages of this exhibition is that almost all of the artefacts are drawn from the collections of the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, ourselves, and the University Library. Um, both institutions have rich holdings. The University Library in particular has extraordinary collections of Tibetan manuscripts, prints, and... Uh, Buddhist scriptures from from throughout the Buddhist world.
0: Um, you had an opening speech by the Dean of the Tibet um, Institute, is that right? Um, who are the other partners in this exhibition? Because it's the first time in Cambridge that one like this has been put on. It
2: is. It, this is the first museum exhibition of, mm-hmm. of Tibetan art, Tibetan yeah. artifacts. There have been other exhibitions. Uh, at, at, there was another exhibition uh, uh, not so long ago of Tibetan books and uh, Buddhist books at the University Library but this is the first to, to really bring together all the collections of, of the University and we've been working very closely with uh, the Mongolia and Inner Asia Studies Unit and uh, the head of the project Hildegard Dienberger, um there um, she brought the exhibition to us uh, and brought the idea. This is based on research that has gone um, on about 10 years' worth of research projects. And it's, it's, it's fantastic for us to bring together that uh, rich international you know, uh, decade of research and our own collections, bring those together and to try to make those accessible and engaging to, to a local audience.
0: Now, now the, the beginning of Buddha's story is absolutely um, wonderful, that a, a book just fell from heaven into the lap of a king. Uh, tell me about that.
2: Well, I think the, this is the story that, uh, that, that greets visitors as, the, as they enter the, the exhibition, the story that at the beginning of Buddhist civilization in Tibet, uh, a, a book, a sacred text... Fell from heaven, and it was received by uh, by a Tibetan king, who, uh, being illiterate, not being able to read it and access its contents, took it as a sacred object, deposited it in a shrine, and 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 worshipped it. And the book repaid that in abundance. The book made him uh, restored his youth and vigor. And it was only generations later that a descendant of his, um, the first uh, the, the first great king of, of Tibet. Um, took, the, took the book and uh, worked, with, uh, worked with Buddhist scholars from other parts of, of the Buddhist world to unlock its contents and that was the beginning of this extraordinary literary tradition
0: that we see in front of us. Fragments uh, of. Uh, it, it really is quite fantastic. Um, and um, I mean... Um, I mean, one of the things that you've got here, which I think is absolutely marvellous, is a set of um, uh, stones with um, writing on them that pilgrims on the pilgrim routes um, around the East used to um, drop to um, to tell the news or to to, to pass on things to other travellers and things like that. You've got an ex- it's one of the key exhibits here, isn't it? Yes, I,
2: I, th- I think uh, well, dotted around the, the the exhibition and particularly at the beginning, we um, we're talking about the uh, the role of the written word. Uh, that's really um, ubiquitous throughout the Tibetan plateau and the Himalayan landscape. Uh, we have these uh, these money stones, um, carved uh, carved stones that are in, uh, that are inscribed uh, with um, the mantra Om Mani Padme Hum, and that is really the um, the uh, that, that's that's really the sort of ubiquitous pattern within uh, within, within Himalayan Buddhism. And and I think um, in addition to those, basically. It's about, a lot of this is about the place of the written word in people's lives and within the landscape, and mm. it's the relationship between people walking, walking these paths. Mm. Maybe, maybe pilgrimage routes, maybe um, the routes that they follow in their daily lives, but all of these routes are dotted with um, these uh, tata, mm. these stamped, uh, stamped clay uh, plaques, or these carved stones, which are which have these um, protective properties as well as acquiring merits, which is a fun. Uh,
0: are they like talisman, basically? I though? think
2: they can be. The tata, in particular, mm. are um, they. Uh, they can range. I mean, some of these are tiny, about uh, three centimeters high. Yeah. Um, but they're mass produced. They're made out of clay. They're stamped into molds, and they can they can depict. Uh, buddha buddhist deities and 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 other uh other spiritual masters but they can also have um have reliquaries embossed upon them or 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 indeed text in some cases and these are um uh these can be set up as 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 memorials to people that have passed away sometimes incorporating the ashes of of people that have passed away and this is about um about the 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 continued care for people um beyond uh, um um Beyond these moments,
0: and um, you've got a wonderful map here on the wall, which shows roughly the pilgrimage routes all the way around the East, across Burma, Thailand, the Himalayas, um, and there are three languages involved in, in, in these um, uh, in this written language in, in some of these artifacts. They they date back over a thousand years. Don't they, don't they? Uh, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so that's Mongolian, Sanskrit, and Tibetan. Yeah.
2: Actually, it's the uh, for me this map that we're looking no. at here that was. Uh, that was in many ways what unlocked the story for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've worked very very closely with the, the, the other curators of the exhibition, Hildegard Dienberger and Michaela Clemente, uh, both at the Mongolia and mm-hmm. Inner Asian Studies Unit. And what, um, what became very clear was when I, when I saw this map of the, um, the routes that Buddh- Buddhism took from about the, um, well, over over about a millennium and a half uh, Traveling in the form of uh, initially in uh, oral tradition, but very quickly in 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 written format, usually inscribed on palm leaves.
0: Um, uh, Transporting um, manuscripts um, long distances was extremely important for for learning everywhere, wasn't it? Uh, I, th- I think it was. It's
2: yeah. the basic. Uh, it, it's the basic sort of portability of a lot of these things. Yeah. I mean, very easy to produce. We, we're looking here at the uh, at um, some of the manuscripts from uh, from Sri Lanka. Uh, these, these manuscripts are quite late, but they're they're written on palm leaves, which are easy easy to easy to easy to find, easy to pr- process, and then uh, and and the words of the words of Buddha are, are inscribed upon them. Now, of course, that's creating many um uh, it starts off in the in the Pali language, which to start with was an unwritten language, but very quickly we see the development of literary traditions as these books pr- progress. It's not just about books progressing. Yeah. Uh, it's not just about ideas travelling with people and yeah. books travelling with people. It's all about the idea the ideas and the people, indeed, that are carried around the world by books, and that's what I think is the engagement. There's a wonderful
0: exhibit here, one of a million Durrani's in their pagodas. This is a document that was duplicated a million times, is that right? The,
2: the, this is, uh, yes, the, um, um, the one million, uh, million Durrani in their pagodas. This is an early, uh, a very early Japanese print. In fact, it's thought to be, uh, it's one of the contenders for being the oldest printed document. Uh, so this is uh, printed towards the end of the 8th century, and it was one of many, um, well, allegedly, it, it, it's said to have been one of a million uh, Buddhist scriptures that were printed on paper, rolled up and placed in this pagoda, which is like a, a stupa or a chorten, um, a, a sort of reliquary mound, and um, a very, very small, uh, specially produced artefact. And this, I think, tells us something Um, partly about the age of printing, but also, I think, about the uses to which the word was put. Some of these words were not intended to be read and certainly not read aloud by people. It was the printing, it was the production of Buddha's word that was the, the, the sort of meritorious activity.
0: And you have printing blocks here which um, can be used for creating masses of documents. You've got examples of, of printing things that have been printed on those printing blocks um, up on the, the pillars here which are wonderfully colourful. What do they say on those, those blocks? Ah, well, okay. um,
2: uh, I think the... Um, the use of the use of printing is, is I think, fundamental to our story here. It's about uh, it's 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 the imperative to sort of uh, mass produce and circulate the Buddha's word, and, and I think we, we have we have several printing blocks here. Uh, there's been a lot of research on on the on the, uh, the printing process. These uh, wrapped around the wrapped around the pillars of our uh, of our gallery are uh, prayer flags, lungta, which uh, you can see in a lot of photos of here. Um, can be seen, um, you know, um, fluttering, hung up in in landscapes, on uh, in, in all sorts of architectural, natural landscapes throughout uh, Tibet and the Himalayas, and, and these are are inscribed with mantras, with uh, with uh, with uh, protective uh, protective animals and, and and creatures, and it and it's again about uh, about. Uh, reproducing Buddha's words in the landscape, and 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 the constant acquiring of merit for. for uh,
0: now you've got a, a wonderful shrine set up here with some um, lovely artworks um, on the back. What are in those uh, those um, those drapes behind there? I mean, what do they tell you? Right. Well, uh, the,
2: these these three scroll paintings or tankas on the on the back wall of the uh, of the altar are. Um, they're uh, some of the earliest Tibetan material to have entered into this expo- in, into this museum, and they are there are paintings in the center we can see a painting of uh, of Buddha um, and his uh, his hands are in the mudra or gesture of Dharma chakra, which is turning the wheel of law. so this is basically buddha 's first sermon and and the, uh, and the, this extraordinary painting tradition is something that has been uh, has been studied widely by, by by scholars for for generations, of course. But I think these are presented here in two contexts. They're presented here as 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 ritual ritual object, but also, of course, in terms of their collections history. These were brought back from the uh, immensely controversial British expedition to Tibet, the first British invasion of Tibet in about 1904, and they are so one of the stories we're trying to tell is their collection's history but we're also looking working with people at the Fitzwilliam Museum uh, with the University of Cambridge Museums um, the uh, um, chemistry department and, and scholars and scientists throughout the world looking at the pigments, the colours that people used, and, and actually some of those findings have been truly extraordinary.
0: Um, th- those are w- wonderfully colourful and engaging. I mean, you've got this fantastic set of handheld prayer wheels here. Um, how does the prayer wheel work? You, you, once you set it in motion, um, you, you set something religious off, don't you? You set off a, 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 a said prayer. I mean, are there thousands and thousands of prayers, uh, and each prayer wheel are different? How does it work? Well, uh, the, the
2: the prayer wheel, as it's known, um, <laughs> is actually—I mean, it's something of a misnomer. The prayer, uh, rather than prayers, it contains mantras, these sort of sacred formulas. And once again, the most common one is Om Mani Padme Hum. It's this ubiquitous mantra that is associated with. Uh, with one of the uh, with one of the great bodhisattvas of, of Tibet, and they uh, there are all sorts of different kinds of prayer wheels. If you look at uh, if, if if you see um, Himalayan temples and monasteries, you you may see walls of enormous prayer wheels that you have to turn with great effort. These um, these are handheld prayer wheels. They are little barrels on sticks with a pendulum, and just in the f- with the spinning of your wrist, you, you you spin this around a central axis, and they are uh fir- they were first um i guess um there were manuscript copies of lots of these bunches, but then they were printed. Now they're often using um, microfilms. Indeed, uh, we've we've seen the uh, the origination of digital prayer wheels, where where hard drives are 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 put with uh, this show.
0: It must have been a tremendously exciting um, exhibition to curate this one.
2: This exhibition has directly been been worked on by by us at MAA and uh, and Miyasu, the Mongolian and Asia Studies Unit, uh, for. Uh, for, um, for about two years now, um, the research goes back to uh, to the early 2000s and but we 've been working on this collection and and really trying to uh, trying to begin the process of finding out what we have in in our stores uh, in, in, in MAa but also uh, so we 've been working on a lot of this material uh, really consistently for, for for two years and for me. I have learnt an awful lot about Tibet and an awful lot about Buddhism really, really quickly. And I think it's been, it, it's been a real eye opener for me. And I can only hope that people that come and see the exhibition can get you know even part of that, because this is a truly extraordinary collection and we're enormously lucky to have it here.
0: Dr. Mark Elliott, thank you very much indeed for sharing it to me.
2: Well, thank you very much.
3: April in Paris, chestnuts in blossom, holiday tables under the tree. Felt its warm embrace till April in Paris. Whom shall I run to?
0: Spending some time watching an artist as they work can be riveting stuff, especially if they have a large area in which to work and perhaps you have kids in tow. If you're in the Grafton Centre today, try dropping into the spacious and recently vacated clothes shop next to Boots in the entrance hall, and you'll find a hive of activity that could make a shopping trip something of a creative adventure. Changing Spaces have taken up residence for a short period and will be giving a live performance next week amid a series of large canvases and resident artists invite all comers. I explored the range of colourful artwork that's on offer and met Changing Spaces director Pete Jackson. Pete, um, how important is this um, gallery for moving on the art scene here in Cambridge? Uh,
1: I, I think it's very important. You know, I mean, it's part of our overall project you know we, we tend to take opportunities as they come up and this one came up and although uh, it, it's been a challenge um, you look at the size of it it's, it's absolutely huge um, but, but you know we we have a sort of a, a reputation of accepting such challenges really in, in the sort of uh, in, in the way of what we're doing and this one has proved to be you know in a very short space of time we've managed to galvanize half a dozen or more uh, artists to come and use the space as they want to, and, and create things that, that are, in some ways, sort of unpredictable as mm-hmm.
0: well. Uh, uh, what's your view of the the way it's actually developing? Um,
1: I really like the way it's developing recently because it's. Uh, we describe ourselves as a sort of a nomadic city-wide installation. Yeah. Uh, in that um, you know we take a, a, opportunities as they come up yeah. and we pop up. As pop-up galleries like this one mm. and we pop down again and then we pop up somewhere else um, and each place has its own distinct flavour this one is you know you can see it sort of working out its own personality through what's going on here um, and we, we tend to take each space as it comes, and try to do something cutting-edge, contemporary, uh, interesting, exciting, something people can interact with.
0: And with that experimentation, has there been a sort of learning curve that's discernible? Oh,
1: very much so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, we feel as though we're sort of just getting into the stride of being able to do this kind of thing and our last major project was the one on King Street and and again it had its own flavour we're sort of moving into an area now which we are calling project space so this is sort of getting away to some extent from the sort of classical white cube gallery and, and getting artists more in direct contact with the public. Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, can people actually watch artists as they work in here? Yeah, they can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. We had, in fact, well, you can see a couple of paintings being yeah, developed yeah. here. Um, and we had another girl working here on a drawing just now. So, yes, absolutely, they can. And anybody's welcome to go upstairs and, you know, while they're visiting here and have a look and see what's being developed up there as well.
0: Many of the artists' work on show are promoted by Marlo Gilbert, who's the director of Blue Contemporary. She explained what's going on.
4: All of the artists on the ground floor right at the moment Mm. are um, artists that I'm a dealer, so Mm. I've been representing these artists for a long time. So there's about seven artists represented here.
0: Can you take me through some of the exhibits here? Because they're absolutely enormous, uh, very colourful and also very playful campuses.
4: Yes, we actually, the name of this exhibition for us is um, Expansion. And Mm -hmm. part of it is because it's giving us a chance to represent some of the larger pieces of work. And this is a Bulgarian artist. He does very large canvases. We have um, uh, umbrellas on a beach from the Black Sea, which is his inspiration as well as some of his boat scenes that are also...
0: Um, That's great fun, isn't it? Because you've got this um, massive beach, um, sunny beach scape, and then you have the the, um, the tops of the straw umbrellas um, tossed up into the air, um, and, and I gather that um, you're doing a roaring trade in people who can stand in front of it, um, <laughs> photograph themselves on their mobile phones, and then text their friends t- to suggest that they're on a beach somewhere exotic. Absolutely, <laughs> as,
4: as part of changing spaces, it's actually been been toyed with as being performance art. So I think throughout the exhibition that we'll actually be incorporating some. Uh, performance art in and around exactly what you just said.
0: Is there a theme very much to this collection? And why do they go together, as it were?
4: Um, this is a the, the theme from the different artists. Mm. There's no kind of consistent theme. They all have very different types of work. But I would say if there was, it's, it's um, they're all global artists. And so they all kind of bring in a different element. We have pieces that represent the Black Sea. We have pieces that represent Chicago, New York. We have pieces that are representing urban um, hmm. situations and also California architecture.
0: And there's, a, there's a splendid piece over there of um, a gentleman rowing a boat down a street um, with um, a fishing line um, depicting um, flooding.
4: Who's that by? That's uh, Michael Asgore. Uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a younger artist but he's based out of California. Um, and yeah, that's one of his kind of surreal urban, it's called Urban Alley so it's that play on on a little bit of his
0: hmm. And you've got some great um, city streetscapes here. Um, is that New York, that one?
4: Some of these are. the. We have one that's a Chicago train, mm-hmm. one that is downtown New York City, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one that is also Soho in New York. Mm-hmm. And this is Stephen Larson. He actually really loves big city scapes and travels quite frequently to the big cities.
0: Um, and you yourself, what kind of um, art are you interested in? What, what are you concerned with? Is it right?
4: I love contemporary art. Mm-hmm. It's always been kind of my passion, and so which is why I represent mid-career um contemporary artists mm-hmm. we're uh online based yeah. BlueContemporary.com. but i was a gallerist and dealer in los angeles for 10 years and i moved to the uk and became a permanent resident two years ago and these are the artists that i've known for 10 years so i know each of them individually and know their backstories yeah. Yeah. and they're kind of an extended members of my family in mm-hmm. a lot of way
0: Elizabeth, you've got an absolutely wonderful canvas here um, of what looks like um, two women hugging themselves, each other in a slightly desolate place. Um, what does it depict exactly?
5: Um, it's... Uh, um, now, Marla, you might be able to help me with this one. Which one of the souls is it that is a twin? And it's your twin that guides you through into the afterlife.
0: Into the afterlife. It's based in ancient Egyptian mythology. That's right. I think it's
5: been adopted by many others, actually, over the years in various forms. But um, they... They started the Seven Souls theory.
0: So, so what is the situation that those two people are in, in the painting?
5: Um, of comfort with one another, yeah. I, I, I believe, yes.
0: <laughs> um, so you're, you're exhibiting, um, you, you just said seven paintings that all have a similar theme running through them. I'm anymore. currently working on seven yeah, paintings, paintings yeah. yes. Yeah. How would you describe your work?
5: I'm, I'm interested in the way form... Um, works with other form and how lines don't necessarily exist in one entity but go from one entity to another entity. Mm. Um, So we have more sort of even with our environment and one another. Uh,
0: And and this painting's here, are they they all going to be shown here?
5: Um, I'm currently working on them, but I'm not entirely sure what's going to go go into the show. At the moment I've got other work that might, might be shown. Changing
0: Spaces artist and director Angie Main also has work on display. Angie, what, what a super um, new space you've managed to procure here. Was it difficult getting your hands on the lease for a short while?
6: It takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. a lot of negotiation from uh, the, the, running, the person who runs the centre and from the landlords and from changing spaces. An enormous amount of work goes into getting the spaces.
0: Um, What's going to actually happen in this slug of the project, as it were? Because right. um, there's a lot going on in, in, in these two floors here.
6: Right. The, the project is uh, an ongoing residency that Changing Spaces have got with the um, Grafton Centre. And we stay in the unit for six weeks and then move on. Uh, this, this is an extremely large uh, venue, as you can see. Mm. And uh, upstairs is work in progress, so we're using it as project space.
0: And that, that's great because people can wander in and see mm. people doing things and they can see things that are halfway through being made and people working on things. Absolutely. As, there's also film projections going on the walls. Absolutely. Um,
6: uh, because that's all work in progress yes, so, yes, for, yes, for the yes. final yeah. uh, celebration, mm-hmm. which will be on the 6th of um, June. Yeah. And everyone's welcome to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're going to have performance art and live art and there's music going to be played as well performance as Performance art,
0: there's going to be dancing and things like that? There is uh, the going
6: to be someone dancing and there's going to be people actually doing acrobatics.
0: Fantastic, yeah. yeah. Um, is any of your work on display here? Was My work there? is, yes. Yeah. So
6: I've got the, the painting at the, the, the end, which is now I'm represented by Marlo yeah, in her gallery and three paintings here as you come in on the left.
0: Fantastic, yeah.
6: After we leave here on the 15th, we will then be going to another unit. Yeah. Uh, which is in progress at the moment of, of being sorted out. Yeah. So we're, we're always on the move, which is typical of the nomadic nature of changing spaces. So we're moving within the Grafton Centre for this one. Great stuff. We still have Norfolk Street, yeah. and there's very exciting things going on there.
3: Yeah.
6: Uh, there's the Peep Show on at the yeah. moment, and then there'll be more project space um, being used for sculpture. But it's all interactive. Just get onto the website and have a look.
0: In the upstairs space, I discovered filmmakers NERF, an experimental artist collective for filmmaking, showing a new wall projection. And Suzanne Jasalik and Helena Green explained their element. Suzanne, um, we're upstairs here, um, changing spaces in the Grafton Centre, an absolutely massive room here with loads of space and spotlights. And obviously there's um, paraphernalia of several artists who are in the middle of working here. It's, It's a great space. What's NERF doing here?
7: we're artists and we've worked um in all different kinds of spaces um, in people's domestic settings in a commercial shop space in an art gallery and now we're, we're in this very large commercial space in a shopping center so we like to make Th- that's very much your works. hallmark
0: isn't it is it's doing film in a place people wouldn't expect
7: yeah or site-specific work yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about the, the film that's um that's currently showing on the wall here Uh, uh, (laughs) Uh,
8: that's
7: mine well
8: one of the reasons why we like uh, performing in different places is so that we can respond to them and so obviously you know, this is an empty shop in the Grafton Centre in Cambridge and so I was trying to put across my view of the Grafton Centre on a film Mm -hmm. so I spent the last couple of days doing more filming and then editing at home and then trying it out in the space here.
0: What kind of questions are you asking ab- ab- about the Drafton Centre and the way we look at it, as it were?
8: Well, I was just as a sort of box of consumption, really, mm. and um, a rather bleak place as mm. far as I'm concerned. Mm. Too much advertising, too many bags being carried around full of stuff I believe people don't probably need, and um, uh, I find it quite sort of claustrophobic and bleak. But people are very interesting. Mm. And it's, it's really nice watching the progression of people and the escalators. I mean, it's actually been quite fascinating in a sort of color mm. and composition sense.
0: Um, and this room, uh, only a few weeks ago, was h and M a a clothes shop, you know, mm-hmm. full of um, mannequins and and clothing and, and, and people going around in that very mundane world doing that. And now, having removed those things and changed the lighting, what have you, it's just a completely different space. It's like it's transformed, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well,
7: I've got another view on that, because yeah. I think there's something of what it was still lingering. Mm. And yeah. if you go to the... I feel like the changing rooms are totally charged, the yeah. empty changing rooms. Mm. people, It's full of people's hopes and dreams and self-criticisms and anxieties and so there's a lot of that energy of the of the shop is mm. still here Yeah.
0: What kind of film are you working on at the moment?
7: I'm working on, I've been observing people from above and mm. taking photographs and film and using the shapes over here painting them in Chinese ink and I'm projecting I've been listening to people's conversations and uh, writing them down and I'm going to project, I'm using a lovely font related to Cambridge Gendersley font mm. and I'm going to project the conversations on calling text over my chinese paintings of them
0: sounds fantastic when does the next nerf open house up? Um, uh, ah. is that coming up soon end of the year
7: end of the year yes yeah, yeah. end of the year I Think.
8: Yeah. we've got another exhibition in september which mm. is also in a changing spaces on norfolk street so uh that will be it's a smaller space and it will just be our group mm. Uh, so that's already lined up. Um, I don't know which of our individual spaces
7: we'll use next. Uh,
0: any, anyone who wants to see some of NERF's work can drop in here in the next couple of they weeks. They can. Please. And
7: oh. also on 6th, I think you know, 6th of, of uh, June, there's an exhibition and there will be a, a, definitely a big installation yeah. here of ours. We haven't worked out what it is yet, but there will be things to do. the next
8: exhibition goes for, I think, till the 11th, mm. 6th mm. And to the 11th of
0: June. Yeah. Great so. stuff. Thank you for, yeah. very much indeed. Thanks. <laughs>
6: You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
0: Them to having an early evening drink outside Don Pascal's in the Market Square. There's a new attraction ready to grab your interest but a few steps away in the near future as a group of young artists plan to regularly exhibit and create work to live audiences on the market stall on the corner of the square. Flochilling Art Promoters Byline Arts has a stable of around 30 emerging young artists who've been looking for some city centre exposure and have just set up a promotion gallery stand as a regular feature on a Monday which will later feature immersive experiences as artists work in open view. Jack Wilson, an art student studying illustration at UWE at Bristol, and Lewis Fell-Clark, a local artist and photographer, dropped into 105 to talk about their project.
9: We're a collective of artists uh, from across the country. Uh, most of us originally from Cambridge uh, gone out to various places and uh, sourcing this and bringing it back to Cambridge uh, to offer something that we feel is different to what
0: is currently being uh, on offer. Um, is that um, different in terms of the art or different in terms of the service what do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, different in terms of the art yeah,
9: yeah So I think it's a lot fresher uh, very young kind of emerging artists are representing.
0: You're both um, obviously you're both artists and you're, you're relatively young you're studying currently at um, uh, Bristol, UWE. UWE. I'm studying um, illustration there. Yeah. Um, how's that course going? By the way. Yeah. Uh, really good. Yeah. Really yeah. good fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of really pushing the boundaries of what illustration can be. Mm. I mean, is it difficult as a young artist to get a forum where people can actually see your work or or get access to actually buying it? obviously, you must be all absolutely desperate to to make a yeah. bit of money yeah, and, yeah, and and uh, art agents, especially in a place like Cambridge, are fantastically expensive yeah. so um you know, what what is the scene like for young artists who've got work that's new work and they want to you know get it out there? is it difficult? um yeah, definitely is
10: difficult. I think what we' we're, we're trying to do is kind of rub each other's backs <laughs> and um kind of. Get each other out there, mm. kind of helping, uh, yeah, helping each other out rather than kind of going solo and being like, I'm this person, mm. I'm going to get an major, mm. and I'm going to be mm. in this magazine and do this.
0: Uh, can you tell me a bit about the range of stuff that you've got? I mean, I see that you brought an illustration there. Mm. For, I mean, mm. uh, for me to see this evening by um, what, what's his name,
10: uh, Till til- Lucas. Like, yeah, til- to kind of to le-
0: describe those for me because that, that's a project that's of considerable interest. Um, yeah. Uh,
10: um, I guess
0: kind of the work
10: that we we want to sell is um print based artwork, um yeah. magazines, scenes.
9: Yeah, how to, how to there's there's small
10: small publications.
9: Yeah, yeah, uh, small really publications. Too
0: can you describe those prints that you brought in um, because um, th- there's a, a wonderful image there of um, an elderly granny with a machine gun that looks yeah. like something out of um, Goldfinger you know yeah. the woman who comes out when he, he's zooming around <laughs> in his Aston Martin and suddenly she jumps out of a box and fires at the car um, That that's an interesting image but there's a whole series of those aren't they? And, yeah. and, and, so it's, and, a series, it's a series of
10: um, strong women from the past mm-hmm. so historical women who are kind of tough tough ladies as he calls them yeah. and um, they come in a a, uh, a pack of cards hmm. which um, are kind of like traditional trading cards so you can trade these tough ladies. And does that include Bodasia,
0: or who, who, are, who are the other tough ladies, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, so or? we uh,
10: <laughs> got uh, Mar
9: Barker
0: was one of them yeah, Rosa Parks and Rosa Parks yeah, Rosa Parks, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah there's a few, few more as well yeah. uh, And what are your ambitions for trading from that market store? Is the store in the same place every time? Yeah. So it's right opposite the Marks and Spencer's um, food hall. Mm. You've got a stable of how many artists? Uh, between sort of thirty-ish. 20,
9: uh, uh, so yeah. Um, and, and and we're th- looking, we're looking th- to get more and more artists
0: yeah. involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's the plan for the, the various stages of the project? You were talking to me um, earlier about um, possibly um, doing things um, in the evening that might attract people. What might those be? Uh, having a kind of a, a night like
9: street market, yeah. and possibly getting you know some music involved as well, and uh, you know uh, st- kind of street food, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And
0: I mean, it might, it's actually quite a key position to have there because it's right beside Don Pascal's, which has tables and chairs yeah. um, out of the open. It's yeah. not a very big um, uh, trip to to walk. 10 yards across with your glass yeah. of wine and have a look at the art that you're yeah, um exactly. sharing off there so um that looks as like though it's got potential yeah. what are your hopes and dreams for that um project are you going to sort of try and get um, get take it right up to having a gallery or a shop or just um, just experiment with it at the moment yeah, yeah I, definitely I it's something to think about for yeah, the future yeah. very
9: very early days at the moment mm-hmm. so but obviously the end the end the, the whole reason why we we did start it on the market yeah. was that you know we we're both Young and uh, we don't have the money to uh, mm. rent a, a gallery space in Cambridge, <laughs> so it was an alternative to that.
0: Um, so I mean, you're doing illustrations. What kind of illustrations are those that you're you're doing as well?
10: Um, well, that's quite a difficult question actually, because mm-hmm. um, we're still I'm still kind of working out what I want to really create. Mm-hmm. So kind of messing around of like print based mm-hmm. print based works and more conceptual ideas, mm-hmm. um, a lot more kind of like sculpture and of, like, installation based works. What are you doing in terms of artwork of your own at the moment? Uh,
9: I do a lot of photography, mm-hmm. uh, this is kind of traditionally
10: uh, traditional
9: photography. Yeah, uh, just kind of experimenting in the dark room, seeing what I can, you know, what effects I can add to a picture and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. So,
0: um, I, I mean, as, as someone who's grown up in Cambridge, are you surprised to see um, how wonderfully vibrant the, the art scene is now becoming, especially for very young people like yourselves? You know? Yeah, uh, it's
10: really starting to kind of pop out. Of uh, recently
3: mm-hmm. and
10: um, yeah I feel I feel it has a lot to do as well with the mm-hmm.
9: kind of a lot of younger people are you know moving to Cambridge mm-hmm. either to work or mm-hmm. and obviously you have all of these new developments mm-hmm. that are being built around Cambridge and
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's the business model I uh, um, basically
9: just want to offer something unique a uh, limited run of
10: prints but also being able to you know source things uh, for people potentially mm-hmm. so and kind of taking amateur ar- artists and putting them onto a, um, a more kind of like public scene so they've got a lot more exposure and we're kind of representing them but not as a agency where we're they're just I and mean, close mm. to us mm. they can they're free to go off and do everything else
0: so they, they can get in touch with you just by turning up at the market square or yep. a website they presumably. can yeah, yeah they
10: can drop stuff off they can like mm. contact us call us email mm. us and um we kind of like pick and choose and select and
0: mm. Uh, and what's it been like setting yourself up in, in business? Have there been any trials and tribulations in in doing that? I mean, is, was it difficult or, or I guess it easy? All, it's all trial
10: and error. Hmm. Still trial and error yeah. at the moment. Yeah, isn't? we're still kind of still uh, getting the ropes of hmm. how the market works and how selling selling things works. Because um, yeah, I don't really have much uh, business experience hmm. in the past.
0: And how do people get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, so you can go to
9: uh, www.bylinearts.co.uk uh, uk.
0: Taking a peep at a selection of artists' recent and most scintillating work can be thought inspiring, but when there are several artists together, including an anti-artist for balance, it can be quite interesting. Collaborative exhibition Peep Show is in its last afternoon at Changing Spaces in Norfolk Street, so if you want to catch it, you'll have to jump on your bike and zip around there now. Artist Alexandra Drysdale explains the Peep Show theme as a fascination of playing with materials. What is this piece with um, that has uh, part of a vacuum cleaner cleaner, (laughs) um, coming out of it? um, What does that (laughs) signify?
11: Well, I called it air condition, Mm. and I've tried to do something that's kind of drawing your attention to just the, the empty space and the airiness, airy qualities... So obviously, the kind of the Hoover relates to sucking up dirt through air.
0: Um, I mean, you've got you've got it on um, what could be a shelf or a table in, in, in white, and then you've yeah. got something suspended above it in a in a sort of um, uh, what we call that a curly whirly thing.
11: <laughs> yes. Well, I needed to have something kind of above the shelf, so yeah. it's something above and below. And I've got really interested in using this idea of the shelf, hmm. and that to me that kind of horizontal represents sort of separation between the earth and the sky or Substance and emptiness—that's those sorts of differences.
0: The, the lack of things and the spaces between them are interesting to you.
11: Very, very, yeah, just yeah. as much as the yeah. The substance uh, immediately draws, brings to mind emptiness. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and
0: then there's this wonderful piece here with um um. So, so what does that signify? It's, it's got it's like um uh, a, a veil over a sculpture. Um, how...
11: Yes, well, the idea behind that was the idea of a, a cage, which has got did have a bird in it. Um, so, the, 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 egg has ha- the bird has hatched from the egg. Okay. Um, and there's a sort of veil, like a kind of almost reminiscent of a funeral outfit, you know, the veil. And that's kind of coming down, so suggestive of, you know, birth and death within the one piece.
0: Uh, and then you've got this bubble of bird feathers, feathers uh, above yes. it. What do those signify? Like? Well,
11: again, that's the bird that's hatched from the yeah. egg, from yeah. the egg in the cage. Brilliant stuff. Right.
0: <laughs> um, and um, what's the theme for you for this exhibition?
11: Um, um, the main theme throughout is kind of artists who are fascinated in playing with materials. So the transformation of materials. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that's the main link between us all. <laughs>
0: Great stuff. Yeah. Rosemary Catling and Rebecca Eilert talked about the work that they're offering. What's this exhibition all about?
12: Well, we called it Peep Show, um, mm. and I suppose what it ends up being is a, a peep into our working practice rather than the traditional peep show behind a curtain. So we're, we're four, four people working in different ways, mm. and we've, we've tried to show a little bit of the process as well as the finished product, I think. Mine is, mine is this one. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I've called these, this series of paintings Postcards from the Edge because yeah. my, my theme really is, um, is ageing at the moment. Mm. And so these... And that thing in the window of the teacup tipping, and that, that's mine. But it's about people who... Um, who Although they know that... that obviously, they, that it's about death, really. Yeah. They yeah. know that something's going to happen yeah. in the not-too-distant future. And I've put them in precarious positions... There's the ones on the top of a cliff and there's some having a cup of tea on the Titanic there. And they're, they're based on people I know, uh, friends. And uh, so it's just a, a fairly light-hearted metaphor for, for, for being older and putting to one side the idea that you're going to die and enjoying a cup of tea and getting on with life, really. So
0: it basically says you know, you know you're going to die. You know right? you're going right, to die, yeah. but,
12: but it's not in the front of your mind. Mm. Although you, you're aware of it, it's sort of, you're living on two levels, I suppose. Mm, mm. That's, that's what it's about. Uh, yeah, you have yeah time and you're right. leaving the party a bit earlier, which is a shame, but you mm-hmm. know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this is, this, these are sort of, I was trying to think of how they're a metaphor for ageing, but mm. they're not really, that was just a, there was just an odd incident when I did, by mistake, I did May the Best House Win, which is a stupid TV programme, mm. and that was one of the houses we went to see, and she had this amazing collection of stuff in her garden, and,
0: and it's a bit's colourful garden gnomes. And uh, it's quite a uh, funny,
12: uh, funny picture. I uh, put it in because it was bright, but it doesn't quite fit in with that theme, although anything you can make some words up that would fit it, you could always say something about it. Being an older woman, isolated, surrounded by belongings. Or you could say that it's uh, an older woman with all these gnomes running around after her. Jolly good. That, you could look at it either way.
0: Uh, and these are people bathing in this one. Uh, these
12: are swimmers. That's yeah. me. That uh. is actually me. And it's about, oh, again, you know, your body doesn't look as good as it did, but you're quite happily floating along, perhaps. But, um, I mean, that in that one, you could say that's the finishing line. I don't know. I mean, it's not really as blatantly um. obvious as that, really. But... I just like the idea of the woman not older, sort of floating, not really being too concerned about being competitive in, in that sort of way anymore, mm. you know. Just living later. in the
0: present. As it yeah, like. yeah, 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 really. <laughs>
12: yeah. So that's about
0: it. Yeah, great. Um, tell me about your work. Yeah.
13: Well, I um, this is So this is the first time I've ever done filmmaking. Mm. Um, usually I do either sculpture or jewelry making. Mm. Um, so I've been wanting to make a film for a long time and I have got this over, which is a family piece... A furniture yeah. that belonged to my late father, so I've recently inherited it, and I well, I've become unnaturally attached to it. Yeah, you know, and what it symbolises, really. So I wanted to.
0: It's a sort of sofa that you sat on when you were a child, basically. That's, that's it, yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, yeah.
13: so, so and, and obviously, you can see that it's seen better days. Um, So I'm interested in the idea that this sofa... So it became meaningful in my family, but it must have played that similar role in other...
0: And it's great, because it's, it, it, it's without the film, it just looks like a dilapidated old yes. sofa that's lost its cushions. But as soon as you project that the action onto it, yes. um, and the characters in the film yes. that are projected onto it are also sitting on the same sofa, yes. it, it take, takes on a, a living kind of form, doesn't it? Um, yes,
13: it does. So, so I'm sort of using the film to illustrate all the activity and all the life that would have happened on the sofa over the life of mm. it, Sort of all condensed into
0: the sofa remembers.
13: Well, it, it does remember, and it sort of absorbs all, you know, all the memories of all the pe- you know, the people mm-hmm. in the family.
0: And and, and what happens? Um, how does the story sort of progress? Or or is it is, is that the parameters of it, or is there more to it? Is it well? No, it?
13: I mean the thing, the dreadful thing about this sofa is that I've carted it all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it won't quite fit in my car, so I keep having to involve my. Mm-hmm friends in transporting it but i can't quite let go of it so this is just one episode in its life so it will something will happen to it afterwards
0: fantastic something good <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a really really interesting piece that yeah, great stuff. Yeah.
13: good i mean yes it's important mm-hmm. you know it's a family mm-hmm. thing
0: And cato Catling, who explained he's perhaps now defined as an anti-artist merely bullied into the exhibition is showing his free-spirited outlandish monologues His work features dozens of paintings on pizza boxes that have poems and texts inside for you to pull out and read. He talked about his stuff and then recited one for the road. Pick a dog and pick a god. How does that work? Well, they're all
14: muddled up. It's all to do with uh, myths, mythology and...
0: Is it sort of notions of? Yeah, uh, you, you ask me <coughs> okay. um, It A pig-o dog yeah. um, is a sort of um, pick-a god. Uh, is, is that like? Is it about where religious ideas come from? Things like original sin and nations and morality and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's and, and it. That in fact, you're <laughs> offering much. like a, an alternative, a story that's that kind of slightly ridiculed. Yeah, all yeah. That.
14: And the fact that I have to do it this way is because I don't talk. Mm, either. Mm, yeah. There you are.
0: You, you just you just rush out and express your ideas. And, yeah, and this pitch. is
14: just about expressing me.
0: Mm-hmm. But and your thought train here, it, it it is bizarre, but it's also extremely interesting. And in the things that you've chosen to talk about it, and you've gone into a kind of um, reverence for pizza. Um, where does that idea sort of pop up from?
14: <laughs> but that just became a symbol. Like, it's partly because pizza comes in packets and that lets me have a sort of. Humble or different idea of what to draw and paint on, which Mm. is not art. I'm anti-art,
0: in a way. An anti-artist, would you call yourself? Like an anti-hero? Yes, but
14: I'm (coughs) for art, (laughs) because I'm for that sort of concept. That's about the only framework I can believe in. Mm. The frameworks of things like countries and things like that just seem odd to me.
0: Is it kind of like searching for meaningful things in life? I mean, yes. is, that, is that what it, that's about, really?
14: Yes, it is. Mm. Very much so. Mm. But realising you can't get it. You won't get there, but art is near as you can get it. It allows you to miss about with your mind. And,
0: and then this series of paintings here on pizza boxes. Um, very colourful I, mean, I, I wouldn't have noticed they were pizza boxes until, until, I, until you pointed it out, actually, um, <laughs> no, no, because right. they're, they're, yeah. they're lots of different things. Uh, can you tell me a bit about what those depict? So? Well,
14: I would, I keep saying I'd put um if I wrote me to bring them um, because they've all got poems
0: hmm.
14: in. I've, I've there's a poem
0: inside them. each box with a painting on the outside. Pretty yeah. well, pretty well, yeah. yeah. Pretty well, yeah. Will you read the poem
14: to me? Uh, wall planes over furniture. Living is the crux. Four walls, ceiling floor, an, interlocked, an interlocking beam box. Wall planes over furniture. Pattern bomb the room. Fully colours everywhere. Living in laugh. Boom, boom. Then. Angels of sanity also hover over me, treating me seriously, saving me from grin and grim.
0: Great stuff. Thank you
14: very much.
6: OK. You're listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105.
0: time to take a pick of what's coming up in the city in the next couple of weeks if you're listening to a rerun this will be out of date alfred hitchcock's dial in for murder opens at the arts theater on tuesday june the 17th starring daniel betts philip Carnes, kelly Motton, robert perkins and christopher timothy american alternative rock band eels takes the stage at the corn exchange on wednesday june the 18th and marks the launch of a new album by frontman mark oliver everett Band jazz at the Lincoln Centre Orchestra perform at the Corn Exchange with Wynton Marcellus as part of the UK tour on Saturday the 21st of June. Explorer Sir Ranul Fiennes presents his memoirs Living Dangerously on June the 13th at the Corn Exchange. Wising Arts Summer Season continues with a talk on The Way We Act Now, Psychology in the Digital Age on Saturday the 14th of June given by a team of academics. And a new exhibition, Delivery by Design, Stamps in Antarctica, opens at the Polar Museum on June the 12th and features stamps and artworks as well as printing proofs depicting the ice cap's history. And that brings us to the end of the programme and I hope you've enjoyed listening to Arts Roundup on Cambridge 105 and will get in touch with us if you have a creative story to tell. Oh, yeah.